unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we are going to be traveling back to the year of 1985 to take a retro ramble on another cult classic that is Weird Science, brought to us by John Hughes. George, is that right? Yes, the the legendary uh, John Hughes and also 80s mega producer Joel Silver. That does explain some of the scenes in this film, looking back on it today. Um, but so this would have been, well, I mean, there was a lot of great films out this sort of time. This is sort of the time of uh, Ghostbusters, a lot of other films, teenage coming of age, spending time in the mall. That sort yeah, of so if you think this is post-Ghostbusters, but yeah, around the same time as Back to the Future, so things like that. And yeah, but it's, it's well, it's 85, so it's mid-80s. And I think as we'll get into, uh, it's a very much a, quintessentially yes, yeah, a quintessentially 80s film in terms of the music uh, some amazing fashion, oh, and, fashion. And, and some narrative choices maybe I don't know but we'll get into it yeah I think it's for you know not to spoil it but I think we both enjoy going back to it uh, oh, we'll oh be, sure and we'll, we will be explaining so yeah it is back back to the usual uh, this month because obviously we took a slight diversion for our 50th episode inviting our sister on and covering a not so blokey film uh dirty dancing uh but we are back to business this is um i think we can say a, a film pretty much directed towards um adolescent boys um oh, it's, it's a teenage <laughs> wet dream i think it's safe just, to say yeah just a little bit um so if you've listened to our podcast before uh, you know what to expect uh, but for anyone who hasn't here's george we're just a quick reminder of some general housekeeping uh, Retro Ramble is a, a film podcast looking back at the, the films of the mainly the, the 80s and the 90s, films that Charlie and I, who are brothers, uh, grew up with. Um, it's a light-hearted look back at these films. It's not a proper critical analysis, but that's to say, you know, we will be looking at how these films stand up how they have they dated what still holds up why are they you know so revered but there will be spoilers from the the off there'll probably be some uh, boyish uh, infantile humor there might be some swearing and most of the time there'll be some bad impressions from charlie and myself yeah so um sit back and enjoy it's probably going to be about an hour long if you're lucky but, and we'll do all the usual coulda woulda shoulda feature where we look at who was considered for the roles and also our uh, dvd extra special features so yeah i don't think there's anything else that we need to cover uh before we just dive in george yeah let's go for it okay so here it is uh weird science 1985 enjoy the show enjoy you know it's not a bad idea what making a girl actually making a girl this is wyatt and gary i give her one digits mammary glands something's about to change their world Something out of this world. She's alive! Alive! What would you little maniacs like to do first? It's all in the name of science. Weird science. If you want to be a party animal, you have to learn to live in the jungle. Not us. Not here. No way. She is turning their lives. Trust me for once, will you? What is going on? Gary, I don't know. I don't know. Their minds. And their house upside down. It's seriously affecting your sex life. <laughs> it's completely unnatural. Do you realize it's snowing in my room? Totally unbelievable. No! What's going on? And definitely weird. Hi, dudes. They went from zeros to heroes in one fantastic weekend. I'm so good. Universal Pictures presents a John Hughes film, Weird Science. It's purely sexual. Weird Science, 
Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> okay. So, George, 1985, it's a John Hughes film, and it's mm. weird science. Um, now, obviously, both of us could rattle off uh, films from his back catalogue, but where does this sit in, in the films that John Hughes gave us? So, John Hughes, most people will, will know his name. He's, he's one of the biggest names in popular film in the, in the 80s, so he's kind of seen as the godfather of the the teenage, you know, uh, movie genre for, or yeah, teen, what is it? Teen, teen comedies? Yeah. Coming so, of age films? Yeah. So, um, as you say, you know, he's done countless films, but he is m- mostly sort of associated with Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, uh, obviously Weird Science, but then he's uh, had, he's written a lot of films as well. So he had, he was a, a big part of the National Lampoons group. So he got that started and he wrote the National Lampoons uh, vacation movies, or at least uh, the first few anyway. Uh, Home Alone, I think you were saying, I, I kind of forget because that's sort of a Chris Columbus film, but I think it was written by uh, John Hughes. Uncle Buck is another John Hughes film. So The, the Great Outdoors, uh, yeah. Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Of course, you know, so there's some amazing, um, you know, top 80s, 80s, early 90s films. I think tragically he died uh, fairly young. I think he, I can't remember uh, how long ago he died. I think it was, it was probably late 2009. Oh, was it? 2009. Okay. Yeah, he was 50, 59. What did he die? Was it heart? heart just a heart attack. He was out for a walk in uh, New York in, in the park. Yeah. <laughs> So where this falls in his oeuvre, or the, the John Hughes timeline, so the man was a bit of a, a machine in terms of working and, and writing. Um, I read a story about how the whole first National Lampoon came about, as started off as a magazine, and I think someone reached out, the guy who was creating it reached out to him and said, oh yeah, we're, we're doing this uh, fake newspaper, do you think you'd be up for re- uh, writing any articles for it? And this was on the Friday, and by the Monday the guy received a full newspaper of articles from John Hughes of all these like fake humorous articles. So he was a bit of a, I say, a machine in terms of his output. Um, as a writer director, this was his second movie in 1985, but it was his third film in 15 months. So I think wow. in terms of the timeline, it went. So yeah, he'd um, obviously he'd written comedies like National Lampoon's Vacation and Mr. Mom first, but his first time writing and directing was Sixteen Candles. That was released in May 1984. Then Breakfast Club came out in February uh, 1985, and then Weird Science came out. I think the September later that year. So that's quite. I say. A, a very, I mean, I don't think even. Someone like, you know, Steven Spielberg or, you know, quite prolific directors could churn out that many uh, films in that time. But just to make things more confusing, even though Weird Science came out after Breakfast Club, it was made before. Right, okay. Which I'll sort of touch on in a bit. It was actually, so it's a Joel Silver production, which is quite an odd one because you and I, you know, Joel Silver is a name that pops up a lot on Retro Ramble. You know, we've, we've got a lot of love for, for Joel and we've got a lot of love for Joel's films. You know, he was, um, you know, some of the biggest uh, action franchises uh, throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, I think we, we, we always sort of lose count of how many, but... You know, uh, Commando, Predator, Lethal Weapon, The Matrix, uh, Last Boy Scout, you know, uh, I'm, and that's, I'm missing out probably quite a few. I don't know. It's, um, I always forget how I remember, much. Yeah, no, there's, 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 there's so many. Yeah. Um, Dem- Demolition Man. So yeah, we've covered, we've covered a lot of his films, but they have been mainly more uh, action films. So it's actually quite interesting that this is um, one of his earlier films, but it's a, a comedy. But as you say, it is quite, has things that you would associate with, uh, with Joel Silver um, as we'll get into it but in terms of how it came about so Joel Silver actually owned the rights to uh, a lot of EC comic stuff so they're most famously known for having anthology comics book titles like Tales from the Crypt which has been turned into like TV shows and uh, I think some films as well but they also had an anthology series called Weird Science and it was when John Hughes was in Joe Silver's office one day and there were 
he was unboxing the all these the comic book collections from Weird Science. He's like, oh, Weird Science, that's a kind of funny name. And then they just got um, talking because they'd been out and about that day. And apparently, this is according to, to Joel Silver, they'd seen a really hot girl uh, at the cafeteria <laughs> on the studio lot. And John Hughes just had this light bulb moment of Weird Science. What if you, the story is about two kids who created a really hot girl? And the seeds were, were sown there. So I love it. Make it. Make, make it. it make explosions it. and the house will blow up. Hot chicks. <laughs> Girls and and her clothes fall off. I mean everything, everything. Comes and, the, off. and then a rocket comes through the floor. Okay, Joe, <laughs> calm down, calm it's down. Got, it's <laughs> got to have a nuclear warhead in it for some reason. So the the interesting thing is, I think this a lot of the the John Hughes purists kind of see weird science as quite like lower tier John Hughes. And yeah, fair enough. It's not as thought provoking and as rounded out characters. You know, he wrote very well. Like considering. He was, I think, a man in his 30s at the time. He wrote Teenagers brilliantly. But yeah, this is kind of seen as one of his lesser films. And I think he felt it was one of his lesser films because from what I can gather, he only agreed to make this film for Universal. So uh, in return, he got to do Breakfast Club. And so whilst he was making this, he was trying to do prep on Breakfast Club, which was his passion project. So he kind of saw this as a bit of a, getting in the way a door opener but he kind of sort of it was diverting his time from his passion project so I don't think it probably had his whole you know heart and soul in it in a way but the, the interesting thing is so it was, they just took the title Weird Science from this comic book series um, that apparently does share some uh, superficial resemblance to one of the stories in the Weird Science comic book collection, uh, one called Made of the Future, which is about a man who builds a wife from a kit he got from his trip to the year 2150. So that sounds a little bit Philip K. Dickian, but um, it's, yeah. She, just turns evil. she turns evil and kills everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I'd like to see. I think that's it in terms of what well, the other th- uh, interesting thing to, to note that with John Hughes' films, they were effectively set in the same shared universe. Um, right. So they are all set in the same fictional town in Illinois. So it's um, a town that Chicago. made up. Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's in the suburb of Chicago, but it's um, a, a town called Shermer. So Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, 16 Candles, and this are all set in that same town. They're set at the same high school. As far as I know, and I'm sure some people will, will correct me if this is wrong, but I don't think there's any characters that cross over. I think it's just the town and high school itself are the same setting. Um, I do like the idea of um, Corley Culkin living down the road and then the Griswolds being around the corner, which is probably, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> probably no, a few years apart. Well, that's it. No, it's, it's interesting to think that it is... The, I mean, obviously, with John Hughes, the the same sort of actors crop up. So, yeah, like you're saying, Macaulay Culkin, John Candy, Anthony Michael Hall, Molly Ringwald, they all sort of crop up in different roles. I think Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall in particular sort of acted as his muses and were very good friends with him for a time. So, yeah, I mean, interestingly, speaking of that... Um, so Anthony Michael Hall, obviously one of the leads in this, he was the original Rusty, uh, Rusty Griswold in the National yep. Lampoon's uh, movie. And he was, obviously, they were doing the European vacation, the sequel, around the same time. So he was offered that. But when he was offered this, again, another John Hughes movie, he was like, obviously, he's got the lead in Weird Science and turned down European vacation. So, they, so that's why he's not in there. Okay. And that's why they basically have recast, they've started a trend with that uh, European vacation because in all the Griswold films, the kids are played by different actors. I think in all but yeah. one, uh, which is a random spin-off. But yeah, and, and that's why it was all like a little bit confusing. You always had uh, Clark and Ellen Griswold, the same same actors, but they chopped and changed the kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's effectively because of this. I think that's that's pretty much it in terms of your typical production chance. 
But I mean, his films, you know, will we, I think it's worth mentioning because we will get around to covering a few of them. Uh, well, I mean, we, well, as I say, you lot, know, they mean a lot to us. Yeah. Well, films. I mean, as I say, there've been some, so many of them are quintessential eighties movies. You look at, you know, uh, any eighties box sets and you're going to have at least one, if not a few of those of his films in, in a, you know, typical eighties box. set. whether it is, you know, breakfast club, Ferris Bueller, um, you know, all, you know, 16 candles at, all this, you know, um, I think they all feature quite highly in those sort of classic 80s films lists. I think, but the the point I'd like to make, I mean, it was pretty different for you. I don't know when you were discovering them, but for me, you know, you can almost split his his films in two. That there's the coming, there's the one that are directed directly towards uh, teenagers, the coming of ages film, and then there's the more family films. And I felt like when it, when these films were coming out, or when I was discovering them. It was because, you know, our dad was choosing them. So we, we discovered him, I think, primarily through, or I don't know about you, but I didn't realize at the time we were watching his two sets of films, but in completely different setups. So obviously our dad introduced us. He's a big fan of the Griswold films of Uncle Buck, uh, The Great Outdoors, Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Those were all discovered through dad, whereas we discovered on our own the likes of The Breakfast Club. Fer- Ferris Bueller was one that was very much yeah. just for us. And so was Weird Science. So it's funny that he that he had these two sort of two avenues of very different films that he would that he that he'd focus on. Um, but we'll we'll definitely come back to these, won't we? You know, they're, oh, they're yeah, for come sure. up again. I, it's I, just I, the first time that we're covering one of his films. We did a bit of a tweet along the uh, a while back for for the Breakfast Club to celebrate its anniversary. But yeah, as I say, I'm sure we will cover a lot more of of his films along the way on on the retro ramble. I mean, I, I do love the I do love the idea that a lot of his inspiration is is from his um, from his own personal experience. What was he saying? He grew up in in Chicago, and he said something like along the lines of. Um, Every, everyone around him, there was just lots of girls and old people. And so he had a lot of time to himself. And yeah, but I, I mean, I just love the fact that he kind of, that he started with the National Lampoons and it's the typical family holiday. And I think that's why that resonated so much with our parents is that it is so much the typical family holiday that you, your parents try and plan everything and you're just, you know, you're a nuisance wherever you go and yeah. nobody has a good time and everyone's stressed. And we still use that line that he obviously wrote, which I think is on the Vegas vacation. It's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm having an alone day, Dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we're all going to have alone, alone days day. today. <laughs> well, that's it. And no, he's writing that like that. It's just so typical, so funny. Yeah, he, the one thing he's very good at is he captures, you know, I say it's, it's that everyday sort of stuff, so relatable that whether it is, you know, being a teenager, being a, you know, a father, being a, a daughter, being a son, but it's, he, he made it funny. He made it thoughtful. And yeah, his films, a lot of his films, this uh, weird, weird science less so, but a lot of them had proper heart and as well as comedy, they, they yeah, there was like, you know, really touching moments in it. So he could, he, he could do both. And it, I think this is weird science is a good, spot to to jump off because it's probably in terms of his 80s stuff it's quite accessible it's quite easy it's quite short it's it's an easy one to jump in on so what was your experience going back this time I haven't watched this in years. Um, funny enough, I bought it on DVD last year, I think, because it was I saw it on sale, and I thought we're bound to cover this for the podcast at yeah. some point. I posted my my copy on our Facebook page and on Instagram because it even has a sort of made in the eighties, you know, special eighties style packaging. So again, sort of tying into. When film companies need to repackage DVDs, and it's sort of like, oh, well, it's funny how they what they decide to go with. Yeah, slap on, made in the eighties range or something. So yeah, I hadn't seen it for a while. I remember watching it um, in terms of first memories. The uh, the retro ramble bingo word pops up. I think it was via the Glenn Dinnings, possibly due to the Bill Paxton connection. As the, I mean, Bill Paxton's brilliant in this. I'm sure we'll we'll go on to it. But yeah, it's not something I've I've watched a lot repeatedly. I I remember watching the TV show on satellite in the in the late nineties. Again, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later. It's kind of exactly how I remembered it. There wasn't any major like surprises, so I kind of like 
not seen it that long ago, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I think I remember watching this a lot. It's one of those films, and this goes back, I think this has come up before on the podcast, but yeah, obviously there were, it was probably introduced to us via the Glenn Dennings, but, but like a lot of films at the time, we would do, you know, we'd be, we'd be mucking about or playing in the garden or going out on our bikes and some people would be watching. And this, I feel like this was a film that I never watched in its entirety or I can't remember it in its entirety. I always remember the beginning, you know, where they're, where they're, where they're making, where they, where they sort of set the scene and they're being embarrassed. I remember them being embarrassed in the gym. I remember them coming up with the idea. I just, I don't remember the third act of this film. So obviously I got a very big surprise when one of the character actors turned up, which we'll get to. But yes, I mean, I definitely remember the film, but I just remember the whole flashing lights and everything Sorry. turning up. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. I've uh, put that in terms of that. It's, you know... It, it hits those uh, those key points that we always talk about. It's got economic exposition. So, twelve minutes in, you know, she's been made. She's Kelly LeBrock is arrived, and that's just nuts. I was like, I was checking my watch. I was like, wow, that they got there pretty fast. And I think because of I loved, you know, you you saying, you know, the stuff that we remember, the the blinking lights, the floppy disk, the three D graphics uh, scanning, and it's. The, the sort of it's such an amazingly vague explanation of how the technology works but back then it didn't matter did it you know no one was it's a computer well, that's computers it. to do everything computers do, and, and the public wasn't tech savvy we didn't question it we were just like yeah yeah of course I mean um, they need more power they've got a Barbie doll and they've got a computer and uh, again <laughs> uh, um, and again correct me if I'm uh, they call up to get more power they use the phone lines to get no, more power? Well, no, it's actually, it's, it's more processing power. So when this will have been made, I mean, this was sort of like around the same sort of time as war games. I was going to say, know, you gotta, yeah. You've got to remember the, the internet was created by, it sort of, it was a joint project between the military and universities and that's how it started. And it was just basically military bases sharing information and then it was universities and then it was hospitals. Hmm. And yeah, it was, it was all of that. The modem, you know, everyone remember, of our age remembers the horrible dial-up sound. Yeah. And that is the phone communicating. And that was before we went to uh, broadband and fiber optics. So the phone is basically, you know, that they're like, well, what can we do? They don't bother explaining how yeah. they're able to just like hijack um, the, the phone the line. Draw, yeah. Processing, processing power from what I guess were being sold as the nearest military base. Um, but that's the whole more power is, I guess it's like, we need more, it's more data or more pros. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about, <laughs> don't, don't worry, don't worry about that. And I love the, the sort of visualization of a bit lawnmower man of going down the corridors. No, Oh, we can't get in that one. Oh, back up. Oh, oh brilliant. Yeah. It's like the most leading edge graphics of the time. And it would have been, and it was, it was impressive. You know, it was all smoke and, reading the reviews they all talk about you know that it, it was a special effects movie you know um you know teen comedy with the the special effects so yes it's uh, I, I thought that was um that was quite amusing but yeah i say it properly gets into it it's literally like as you say they're at high school it's established they're losers there's bullies then they're at they're having his parents are away Oh, we're bored. What should we do? Obviously, yeah, the, the Frankenstein references on, on, you know, on the nose. Then we have, uh, are introduced to the lovely Kelly LeBrock. Yeah, and I, you probably know. So where, where is she from originally? Is she Canadian? Or is that, what's with the accent? So not she, really... as far as I know, she was, she's American born, but then raised in England and then spent a lot of time in Europe. So, yeah, she, Ex- I think she... Explains think a, the wanker reference yes. that yes. a lot of our friends on Facebook were all quoting. Uh, it's been years since I've seen it, but I remember, I think she first came on the scene, was it The, the Woman in Red, wasn't it? Gene Wilder. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember her for, for those two roles in Looking Back. Obviously, oh. she's, mass- <laughs> she's massively objectified, but she seemed okay with it. I guess society was okay with but, objectifying women. All of, the, all of the women in films of that time were basically being objectified in some, no, some was, shape or form. I was going to say this. Obviously, yes, yeah, she is. She's supposed to be the sort of the perfect woman. And I say they're, you know, they're scanning in all the sort of perfect women and making an amalgamation, even though they're like, they, I think at one point they do just scan a picture of Kelly LeBrock. 
Um, oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but I think she's very good in this, and I'm actually looking back. I'm amazed that she didn't do more off the back of it because yes, yes, she's she's beautiful, but she she does really well in the in the role. She's funny. She could be angry. You know, she could be sassy. She she makes it her own. And outside of this woman in red and was it hard to kill or one of the Seagal ones because obviously she went on to become Mrs. Seagal Mrs. Steven Seagal and and gave him several children I don't think she's done much else of of note anyway and she's not to be confused with is it Kelly McGillis who's in Top Gun no not at all <laughs> they're, they're no, no, but you can see. Two yeah, but no, no, oh no, no, but they are. They they're are both hot. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, but both very attractive women in the eighties. Yeah. Um, that had yeah, that didn't go on to do huge, huge careers. But yeah, I'm I'm amazing back because she is she's brilliant in this. She comes across as very intelligent, and obviously, um, she's knowing how to deal with with what how men react to her. You know, that's yes. that's a running theme throughout. Is that she, you know, with the Robert Downey Juniors and the bullies, how the, and how all these people, she she handles herself very well, and the way that she deals with the boys, like it's almost like a, a, a we'll get onto the whole uh, taking advantage of a minor type thing. Um, but it's it's it, it, she shows so many different sides to her personality that yeah, I totally agree. I'm surprised she didn't get like more bigger roles mm. further down the line. Well, as, as in her own words, she described it as uh, the role as being Mary Poppins with breasts. So with, with big <laughs> um, so yeah, it kind of works in, uh, in that way. We've, we've talked about in terms of the leads. You've got uh, Anthony Michael Hall was in quite a lot of eighties uh, movies. The, the other lead, uh, what's he called? Uh, Elan Mitchell Smith. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Elan. He basically didn't do much after this. I think according to, uh, he's now a professor of medieval literature at California State University. So he's completely out of the, the entertainment business, but he does crop up. He's gone back to school. He's literally gone yeah. back to school. Um, but he does, a, a, you know, the, the odd um, comic con sort of type you know event so you've got those two and i think one of the the weakest points in this film was that first first scene where they go to the dive bar and you and i've uh, we talked about this off off air beforehand with the whole sort of rough bar full of all, all the black people and i just found it a bit cringeworthy i found it cringeworthy i said it's a very awkward bar scene and what w- i mean yes he gets drunk and then he seems to basically do because I, I guess this would have been on trend at the moment you have Anthony michael hall doing an eddie murphy impression well apparently uh, reading into it it's based on richard Pryor. so um, okay so well it's uh, a tribute but it's like a very i don't know it's just very white privileged sort of I we just let's go i just, just found it really out. really annoying as well and it just sort of it seemed like i think it doesn't it's take the story forward at all um Really? No, um, no. I, I, th- I think it was one of those things that it it, it seemed like a, a good idea or a joke between Anthony Michael Hall and John Hughes, and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's get that in the film." And it's just like, mm? "No, no." Yeah. Why did you think that was a good idea? Yeah, um, um, and then so, but then what happens at the end of that night, George? Does basically because well, what are they called? It's Gary and um, um, Wyatt. Does Wyatt sleep with her? I think she says it's a throwaway line, but I think she says... Oh, I was 10 minutes into my gym, gymnase, in gymnastics when you fell asleep. Yeah, so I think he didn't finish. <laughs> he fell asleep on the job because he'd been, you know, a more brewer's troop or whatever. But uh, I don't know how huh. he's doing. But uh, no, it's very quickly skirted over, isn't it? When he uh, just wakes up in her in her underwear and yes. she's wearing his pyjamas. Um, but yeah, there's some serious as you say, teenage wet dream wish for when she just starts making out with him and you're just like, well, he's like 15 and this is Kelly LeBrock, even just for that actor. Yeah. You know, right. So we've got this actress, uh, you're going to have to make out with her. I, do, I don't think we've got it. We're going to have to do it again. We're going to have to do it again. Can you imagine being him? It would have well, been something else. Again, that's, that's another probably interesting point that these films in the most part, well, I think 
Breakfast Club was a little bit different because I think Judd Nelson was in his 40s when he did it. But um, they're usually, on the most part, I think were proper teenagers. I think uh, Anthony Michael Hall was like 16, 17. I think Ilan Mitchell-Smith was 14, 15. So whereas if it was made today, they'd be, you know, yeah, obviously that joke of in their 20s or something. Yeah, I, I was pretty impressed throughout with, um, I think something we talked about in Dirty Dancing, um, is the um, why it is very good at being awkward, but uh, looking back at it from 2020, like, is this some just bad acting or is it child acting? It's like, no, no, he does a very good job of coming across as uh, some guy who has no confidence, who's intimidated by his brother, he's awkward, he's a loser at school, but deep down, he's got a hard goal. So I think, I think both of them of do very good job, show different sides of, of what it's like to be an awkward teenager. Lady. I want to get to the bottom of this. A-S-A-F-T. Oh, so do I. But first, I'd like to butter your muffin. Why do you have to be such a wanker? Because I get off on it. Speaking of older brothers, let's let's get on to <laughs> the chat. Is it the chat or the chat? The, the chat. chat. Yes. The, the 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 genius, the awesomeness of Bill Paxton. I mean, obviously. So breakout breakout role discovered by John I, Hughes. Is that right? I, I think it must be that must have been his biggest biggest role. So obviously, this is pre Aliens. He would go on to do Aliens the following year, and he yeah, he had. Obviously, is is cameo in in the first Terminator. So he's brilliant in this. I mean, obviously, we're we're huge fans of his work. But that's when I think back of this film. It's and all the quotes. It's mainly Bill Paxton. Want me to butter your muffin? <laughs> and he's yeah, he's such a, a like as a we talk, as, no, but as we talked about in um, our True Lies episode. He's so good at being a shit, at being an asshole. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's an asshole you love to hate, and he is like. You know, he's so physically abusive and extortionate. He must have had some like bullying older brother or somebody in front of him in his life to pull it off so well. Um, I don't know what his dad was like or his friends or his uncle, but like, well, what do you, what do you, what you see of him in True Lies in this? And I think we talked, what we were talking about in True Lies is, is the guy's range. You know, it's like he knows how to do everything. And when you see him in Aliens, him seeing being a, a hard, not scared of anything, but actually very scared. Yeah. And then, it, it, you know, he's got so many different sides to him. And uh, yeah, I think this is, I think he was discovered by this was his first big role the you're saying where he gets his influences from so his uh, the, that line of dialogue how about a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray was something yeah. his his dad used to say to him when he was hung over so it's something <laughs> that he, he he took from uh, his, his dad being like that so uh, oh well there you go maybe it's yeah. a similar sense of humor but um yeah no I, th- I thought i thought i thought he's great and i think it's great how he's used in the film as well because he's in a little bit at the start well, that's it. He sort of, I mean, there is a little bit of, I'm not going to say lazy writing, but he sort of turns up when it's convenient. It's like, where is he? Like, he just sort of flits in and out when the, the actor doesn't demand it. I fire a gun. We're at it's, the mall. It wouldn't be an 80s film without a mall scene, would it, Charlie? Yeah, I think, as I said to you, the way I look at this is that the mall back then was filling in for what is now the social... It was the social network. It was... And ironically, it, it was what the internet is now. And now the internet is everything that was in the mall. <laughs> well, I <laughs> so, mean, I, mean I, I, I kind of did it. I don't know if you ever did it, but I kind of did it in the, in the 90s. I would just spend weekends hanging out at the Metro Centre and just going there, not shopping, just hanging around smoking, maybe go at the arcade. You're, you're not pronouncing it right. It was the Metro Centre. Yeah, I mean, that... I think that was my first ever. I think I can still remember. I, I think me and a mate from school, Aiden, we were allowed to get the train to the Metro Center. And I think, I think we might've gone and bought a CD. My, I don't think we saw a film. And was then that, that was, was the outing. Maybe a tape, <laughs> maybe a cassette. Uh, no, no, I think it was a CD. I think it might have, okay. or it might've been, a, it might've been an LP single. It might've been um, Heroes maybe, in a Half Shell, Turtle maybe, Power, something maybe, like that. Um, um, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Maybe some more good. No, I wasn't. That was that was ninety two. I'm talking before then. I think I was a bit. Yeah, okay. this, maybe more a year a year before. But yeah, so yeah, it was a thing. You know, it was a, yeah. Wall. Just and, and that's it. You would, as you say, it was a social thing. You would bump into your mates, and you'd you would see the same people hanging around. But I love the scene for some amazing fashion choices. You've got <laughs> wow, Downey Junior. I have to. Um, 
I have to point out, he's credited as Robert Downey, so he hadn't even added on the junior at that point. Um, Interesting. But I think this was one of his first big roles. But he's wearing an amazing getup. All the time. I just... Can't um, take your eyes off him. He's, he's kind of wearing like well. he's kind of wearing like a a jacket with tails, buttoned up shirt and shorts. I think. Um, yeah. And, and makeup, lots of makeup. Lots they're all of makeup. very boy George. It's boy George Adamant sort of stuff, isn't it? Um, Jan Michael Smith or Wyatt is wearing an amazing sleeveless white denim vest type thing. Oh no, no, no! It's not. It's a denim body warmer on top of like a tasseled. Oh, oh it's, it's, just, it's beautiful. It's, it's delicious. Beautiful. It's just delicious. And, and even Kelly Le, Kelly LeBrock is wearing. Every some, time she turns up, every time she turns up, she's classic eighties. Like, but yeah, she's wearing pads. some sort of leather denim sort of and everyone's like she's such a head turner but just like what are you wearing hey man it was just all on trend got some sequins got some something sparkly i'm a rocker rock and roll party oh it's 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 beautiful it's beautiful They do a good job of interweaving a lot of the trends of the time, what people were going through, the awkwardness, the embarrassment, and they start, they're kind of just pushing the narrative along. You see that there's these two girls that, that I don't think, I think they could have spent a little bit more time at the beginning establishing the fact that the two main characters like these two girls because then at the end when they say that they've fallen in love it would have resonated a bit more it seems a bit they hadn't earned that they could have just said hey you've got a girlfriend now rather than saying oh you've found girls and you've fallen in love I think they probably but that shows a sign of the time not really developing female characters as much as they probably would today yeah, no, I, 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 uh, com- I've got that in my notes as well. I completely agree. It's one of the the other weaknesses in this is the those two girls, the two love interests, are so underdeveloped. Like the boys sort of say at the start, "Oh, they're amazing," and then that's it. And you kind of again, the 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 mall gives it a snapshot of, "Oh, they're with Robert Downey Jr. and his mate," but they don't really. They're getting tired of them, but that's it. And as you say, it's a. I love you. And it's like, what? Where, what? Did that come from? Where, did that, where did that come from? And it's the whole sort of, oh, I love you for who you really are. But yes, very undeveloped, as you say, maybe just a product of its time. Maybe it was something that let, uh, you know, landed on the, ended up on the cutting room floor. Who knows? Uh, one bit I did really enjoy that I completely forgot, forgot about is when, is Gary's parents, when... I've Kate, written a note. I love this scene. I yeah. love this scene. But I don't know why. I just think well, it's a really good scene. Well, it's, it's a great scene, but I just love the whole concept of when she erases their memories and the dad completely forgets they have a son all together. <laughs> and the mom's like holding up the picture going, this Gary. is Gary. Gary who? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that they keep seeing that joke. I would have loved to see more of that, but I thought that was one of the funniest bits where it's just like, I have no idea who you're on about. I just know, I love the scene, just the fact that she's like, she's being completely upfront and honest. I'm going to take Gary to a party. There's going to be drink. There's going to yeah. be drugs. There's going to be music. Yeah. There's going to yeah. be sex. And like that. And it's just like all these things. And like, you could just imagine there's, there's a lot of that carried through many of John Hughes' films where there's this. I wouldn't say it's like the, it is, it is kind of like the Alan Partridge, Bosler, it's the outrage, oh my God, in a public, you know, it is, it is very much that shock. Stop saying, had a, stop saying I had a breakdown. <laughs> it's exactly, Partridge, you wanker. Um, no, it's, it is, there is, I do think that it's carried through in a lot of John Hughes films where you see the Griswolds when they just turn up and they just, they become a nuisance or they just, they outrage people from their behavior. And there's, there's great writing, you know, when she's just, she's, she doesn't lie. She doesn't hide. She just, she's honest throughout and she doesn't care how people's react. She's very much, you know, laissez-faire, come, come what may. And it's the, there's that whole awkwardness of like, you know, she's talking about him being in, whacking off in the bathroom and he's just like, no, it's like all those things. That sort of, <laughs> the one with the mum, yeah, yeah. in front of his mum. And she's like, no, tell me you don't do this. Tell me, <laughs> <laughs> tell me you were combing your hair. <laughs> I always wondered why you took so long. I mean, it's just brilliant, brilliant yeah. scene. And, um, um, and also the, the grandparents as well. I know this is later on, but um, Again, even though the... 
No, that felt like something out of a sketch show. The fact that that, uh, that sort of hoity-toity, very upmarked, you know, having dinner together. Oh, should we go and drop in on our grandson? He must be so lonely because, of course, the most important people in a teenager's <laughs> life are his grandparents. <laughs> I love that. And um, they were obviously very good thesps. Uh, English to be, I don't know why. I don't know why, posh. but... Um, yeah. But no, I, I, I thought they were they were used brilliantly, and yeah, and then we have um, the, the party, and yeah, it's uh, and I love that the opening bit where they just they get the house is all getting ready and stuff. She's walking around, everything's happening, and then they just open the door, and everyone is just waiting silently. <laughs> They've arrived at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I thought that was uh, brilliantly done. At this point, George, I think it's worth bringing up that looking back, I would have to say, given the ages we were, looking back, I'm a little bit sad that I missed out on the whole single glove movement. I don't know about you. I think that's an accessory I would have been all over. I probably would have gone for a black one on just the right hand. But there's a lot of scenes of people putting their hands up in the air with gloves on. I'm like, I never had a glove. And I just... I you feel say, like you, I missed something out. I you say out. we missed out. I still, I occasionally just wear one glove, you know, I just, uh, to just to express I myself. In, I think if I look in one of my drawers here, because I am at my desk, I actually think I have a single white Michael Jackson sequin glove that you got me for one of my birthdays. Well, what, well, you know. I'm, I can't find it, but that's the only, but I'm just saying I would have been all over the whole glove thing. And I do like the, the fashion choices in this film. Well, well Very... spe- speaking of the, the Michael Jackson glove, um, I, as you know, I have my own uh, Michael Jackson glove. And in all honesty, in terms of key pieces of fancy dress, I think everyone should should own a sequined white Michael Jackson glove. And it was actually the other day I was sorting through some stuff and uh, had to explain what it was to my daughter. She was like, Daddy, why is it just one glove? I was like, well, you see, darling, do you know Michael? Remember, we've talked about Michael Jackson. Yes. I was like, he used to wear one glove. Why? <laughs> it, was like, it, it was the style at the time. More, more fashion-related <laughs> questions. But yeah, so that, that's all I wanted to say. But yeah, um, rent a crowd turns up. Yeah, can relate, can relate to that in terms of parties uh, we might have had. But can't remember everyone turning up at the same time and waiting quietly outside. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, a traumatic license. Yeah, but um, then we are. I'm, I'm so glad that you, um, you noticed when the, the bullies, also the, the evil mutant biker gang turn up uh, the gate crashes the gate crashes who they're led by I don't need the girl I don't need the girl <laughs> I don't need the gun John <laughs> I could not believe that I'd forgotten about I don't need the girl John Bennett uh, Vernon what's his name Vernon uh, Wells Vernon Wells our Bennett from Commando um, one but, of the best but the interesting thing is, and this is something, again, you and I probably haven't watched it in years, but he is pretty much uh, wearing his, the exact same outfit he wears in Mad Max 2. So he's the, one, he's the main villain in Mad Max 2, the road warrior, as some people know it as. Um, yeah. But he's wearing pretty much the same thing. So it's kind of like an in-joke for that. But this was his first American film, this, this Blink and a Miss cameo. Obviously, it's a Joel Silver production. And as is Matt, Commando. And Commando was made the following year. So without weird science, you get no delicious Bennett. But also, I mean, in terms of it is all about the wardrobe, I think you're not understanding what, what you're dealing with here is, um, no, Vernon Wells, he's just got one thing in his contract and it's <laughs> just that he will wear what he, he will wear the same outfit in all three films. It's basically, he is he wearing the same three. Brings his own wardrobe. <laughs> in, in the words of, was it FHM or Empire Magazine, what can only be described as Freddie Mercury casual? Yeah, it was, it was Hot Dog Magazine, but that, that, uh, that terminology has stayed with us for years. And his character name, because I saw this on the credits, his character name is going on my list of future dog names, along with uh, Commander Krill, and what was the other one? Um, I can't remember. The, but is um, Lord General. 
Lord General. It's a good, it's a good name. I just, it's a good, good, good dog name. That's a good Lord General. Lord yeah. General. Yeah. Um, Anything that you can shout several times in a public space, you know. And Captain Fluffy Pants. Um, yeah, yeah. And I like the, I thought the comedy's well done. It's not really explained why there's the mutant biker. Uh, but I do like the fact that the the kind of golem-looking guy is like turns into be a really nice guy and walks out his bike at the end. I think there's some good comedy I writing think he's there. He's from uh, again. Where is we're, he in Ferris? Uh, I think he's, he's in Ferris Bueller's or one of the other. I think he's again like he's popped in a few. I think he popped in in a lot of horror films. So I think he's at the Hills of Eyes. Maybe I remember seeing his face on the cover. But you and I don't really do horror. But um, again, I'm sure people can write in. They can phone in, our, our lines are open and tell us what he's been in. Vernon Wells is brilliant. You know, we, we love his, his craziness, his intenseness. His eyes. His Those eyes. crazy eyes, yeah. And yeah, it's a good use of scene and it's when, you know, you can see what she's doing and I guess it's the arc of the characters, it's the plot of the film, it's like, what it was, it's, it's, like, it's, how it's, am I going to make you guys cool in school? Uh, yeah, and it's the moment that the girls instantly fall in love with them. Yeah, there's that very strange scene in the bathroom, but um, yeah, no, it's um, I do, there's, there, there's some great writing throughout, and yeah, I guess it all comes together at the end. Then you have the the second experiment, which is where I think Joel Silver got involved a little bit, you know, with like what they were going to do, and you know, you have everything hoovered out of the the chimney. There's a girl playing a piano and then the piano and then her shorts and clothes. I was like, she's going to end up naked going up that chimney, isn't she? Because I couldn't remember. And it was like, yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what I, was, I call the, the Patrick Stewart moment. You know, like that line he has in extras. He's like, I know clothes fall off and I've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything. And that's it. It was, yeah, till, as you say, Joel Silver, like, yeah, the, the chick's her clothes got to come off. Her clothes got to, and then she lands in the water and it's just like, oh. and it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, but there's a lot of action going on. There's a lot of stuff. And the, the rocket coming through the. Needs the a nuke. Every 80s movie needs a nuke in it. Yeah. Got, got to keep, got to keep the Cold War uh, tepid. Um, and yeah, and then I suppose we have the. The, well, no, we've got the the climax where uh, Chet Chet versus uh, Lisa, which is uh, just reminding me of a John Carpenter type graphic. That that thing. Well, the the, the where Chet where these Chet's it, turned into into, into, a into frog, like a frog, or, or a frog monster, Chet, something uh, like that. Yeah, apparently uh, some trivia for you that um, the, that was designed, that monster was designed f- for uh, Bill Paxton to actually operate it, but he got too claustrophobic. So they ended up getting two dwarfs to operate it and they uh, operated the creature in unison. But yeah, I, again, it's sort of one of those like suspicious spin-offs. I would just happily watch more of Lisa and Chet's just like him going around the house going, eh, uh, uh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me buddy a muffin. <laughs> I, I, I love you Wyatt but yeah no, it's a great mo- um, great moment um, apparently in some of the deleted scenes that uh, Robert Downey Jr. and his pal were due to get their comeuppance so after the biker gang turns up they run off but um, as part of the, the weird stuff going on that they get turned into a pig and a donkey but uh, it was never put in the uh, in the film I think they felt uh, I think Joel Silver felt it detracted from Chet's transformation yeah, no, I can I can see that, and that, that that kind of works. And then everything, with a click of the fingers and a bit of electricity, everything is back to normal. I think that's very. It, it looks good. The nice reverse camera work. Uh, just very, very camera. just play it in play it in reverse. A bit like Superman the movie. Just play everything in reverse. He's rewind. blow everything up and then put it on rewind because we yeah. can. Because um, magic. Yeah, the magic movie making magic. So George, um, they're knocking on the door. They're here. It's Jeff. It's Celine. It's time for coulda, woulda, shoulda. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, yes, coulda, woulda, shoulda is where we look at actors that uh, were almost cast in the role or were cast, may have left, and things like that. So for this, I've just got... Obviously, Anthony Michael Hall was was always in the frame, but it's mainly uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda this time is for the role of Lisa. So... 
apparently Kay Lebrock uh, initially turned down the role. She was apparently uh, living in France at the time and, in her words, having too much fun riding horses on the beach. So there you go. She was, um, they, they cast a model called Kelly Emberg, who filmed, I think, for a couple of days and they saw she wasn't working. So they got back on the phone to Kay Lebrock. But apparently, also uh, auditioned for the role was none other than Demi Moore and Robin Wright. So wow. two, two ladies of the 80s. So it could have gone, you know, in a different way. But I think, as you know, as you and I have said, Caleb Brock, uh, Mrs. Seagal makes the role her own. I think that's probably why her career didn't go anywhere, because... Um, oh, Seagal. <laughs> Seagal was like, um, and you will, you will cook and nothing else. <laughs> you're not doing it. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a big career. I've got a big you're you're going to be in charge of making babies. No babies. Yeah. Seagal babies. Yeah. Damn it, Seagal. So, yes, that was uh, a brief coulda, woulda, shoulda. Okay. uh, Now, in terms of some... Special features. This is DVD. Additional features. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, so what are the the DVD extras on this one? uh, I've got a few, but um, can we do some Lost in Translation, what it was called in other countries? Oh, yes, yes. Please, pray tell. So, um, in Japan... Do I have to guess? Do, do, oh, no, no, okay, you do. Uh, you can um, ask me to guess, guess the language just from you saying it. No, no. Um, that's going to be too hard and too awkward. But apparently in Japan, it was called Electric Venus and was <laughs> accidentally interpreted um, by one newspaper as Electric Penis. <laughs> <laughs> Other foreign titles include... Touch me, I'm yours, which is like Danish. Danish. Uh, Dream woman, which seemed to be used in quite a few countries. Um, oh, the science, Russian, and <laughs> my favourite, which uh, the German title, Cool Magic with Lisa. Cool, ma- is that cool with a K as well? Brilliant. <laughs> probably, probably. But no, in terms of special features, so um, obviously we've talked about deleted scenes. Um, so yes, uh, I, I mentioned it briefly, but um, I probably have stronger memories because it was more recent of the TV series. So there was a TV series in the mid-90s where Vanessa Angel played the role of Lisa. Vanessa Angel was uh, the smoking hot girl from Kingpin. If you remember. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I remember watching that, I think, on, yeah, I'll say on satellite. Um, that ran for five seasons. So, actually, quite an impressive run, considering I didn't realize this, but uh, John Hughes was really emphatically unsupportive of having any of his films made into TV shows because they tried to, he actively discouraged them making a both a Ferris Bueller and an Uncle Buck series, which they would go on to make, but they wouldn't even last one season, I think. They were both friends. But apparently he had no knowledge or involvement of the Weird Science series, so much so that he said um, in an interview, oh yeah, I was, I was sitting at home watching TV and the commercial comes on and I was thinking... Jesus, they've ripped me off. This just looks like weird science. <laughs> and then, then the title came up. So that's how much involvement he had. He didn't even know they were making it until he saw the advert for it. Um, well, there you go. So, what would yeah. you like to see in terms of um, if they were to, to do a remake or have you heard anything? I mean, uh, we talk, how, how could you do a remake of this? Well, well that's it. I mean, this film is such a product of its time. As, as, as we've said, you know, through and through, it's a teenage wet dream. It's so misogynist. I think you would, and with the two wishing- white privileged kids, you know, because he says at one point, uh, "Don't make a mess." The maid doesn't come till Monday. Oh you know? God! <laughs> it's just it really sticks out. Um, um, yeah, and, a certain class. And as I say, I think the whole wishy-washy technology. I don't think you could, you know, the whole magic. You could, you could get away with that in the eighties. I don't think you'd get away with that because we're such a tech-savvy audience these days. We'd be like, well, hang on, that's not going to work. Oh no, uh, it'd have to be proper cloning of nanobots or something yeah. you know, so I don't know how you could say oh yeah they they make it in their own so there's the whole gender politics as you're saying you know the whole me too oh, movement oh. and not you just know. that just just the fact that objectifying women like they were in the 80s is just it's it's had its day yeah. you know it's I like, mean you can't do that anymore yeah, apparently Jan Michael Smith when asked recently I think it was a few years ago his idea and it kind of it's 
the kind of most sense or the most obvious, but you kind of would see it working. His pitch was that it would be the daughters of the two mate of Gary and Wyatt, and they find their old stuff and they create the perfect man, and that would be you know Channing Tatum. I could easily yeah. see that being you know, you know it is a very popular thing for the the, the gender flip remake. You know we look yeah. at you know Ghostbusters Overboard that sort of thing. Um, they did it with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels recently, and apparently it was terrible. Um, yeah, How dare they? How dare they? Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. I mean, it just doesn't sound like a good idea. I mean, obviously. Rotten Scoundrels was a remake in itself but anyway mm. um, but yeah Joel Silver said well this is back in 2014 um, he's like yeah I'm going to remake that movie I want to I've hired the guys that worked on a film called Project X um, to rethink the story for today it involves a 3D printer okay. so so yeah I say I think with yeah you'd have to it would it's you know it's it's a fun idea, but I think they would struggle to make it work, to make it relevant, and without you know massively offending some sort of demographic. Yeah, I think there's, I think um, it, very much a product of its time, and just things 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 would have to be there'd be sort of what what would be the message, what would be the point, you know, the overall arc of this is to, and also I think just this theme itself, it's been done so much that they do it in different ways, like. If you want to look at what's different between, say, the films of this era that we're looking at in the 85 and films that are geared towards teenagers now, you can't just put them in a high school and tell them that life is awkward. The high school has to be one of wizards, you know, or in a, in a, in a, in a but it's true, or it has to be like a, the Hunger Games. It has to be in a post-apocalyptic, you know, it has, to, it has to be more than just run of the mill. That seems to have been done. Maybe it'll come back. Uh, I mean, we have The Inbetweeners, which was about all very good British comedy as a series about, that was quite fresh in terms of the awkwardness by a younger generation. But yeah, the, I don't, the, the, they're few and far between, um, probably because of the the commercial benefits. Yeah, the, the, the I think there's been a few films recently, like there's uh, Book Smart, there's Lady Bird, and neither which I've seen, but I've heard they're very good about you know teenagers. Um, I saw one recently, Blockers, uh, which had your favourite person John Cena in about as uh, almost like a female version of American Pie, three girls trying to lose their virginity on prom night, which I thought was really fun. But they are in short supply. You don't get as many of them as you used to because it's as you say it's what's the high concept what's the marvel universe what's the what's the is there an appetite yeah is there an appetite when i say is there an appetite is it are other people doing similar type films it's like Mm. it's not so much is there an appetite from the audience yeah is there an appetite from all the people who invest and make the films a reality yeah and as you say most like more likely tv is the answer so there's uh again i haven't seen it but i've heard good things uh sex education on netflix yeah i think we've we've watched that really enjoyed it very accessible i feel like i'm understanding the youth of today more yeah, yeah. Uh, but no no but it's the whole what they're doing with phones and they don't they're not predominant but like everyone is texting and you can tell stuff's being showed on social media but it's not used it's just the the reality of, of how quickly news travels and bullying and, and stuff but yeah very highly i recommend it it's, it's, it's funny and mm. obviously it's got Gillian Anderson in who is amazing and her English accent is amazing it's mm. just quite jarring the school is the school doesn't know whether or not it's set. It's a Welsh school that looks like a, a US college. But yeah, I've, I've you'll heard see that. that Everyone, when you watch that. Everyone's got like varsity jackets and stuff. It's very much a sort of how can we sell this globally? <laughs> yeah, and you can see why they've done it. It's a very uh, mis a mismatch of of culture. But yeah, so, so yeah, yeah maybe, maybe that's it. It's it's TV. If you're going to remake it, you you look at TV maybe. Yeah. Okay, well, I haven't got anything else to add unless you have. No, no, I think we've we've said. I think you know. Bottom line, enjoyed uh, going, but enjoyed going back to it. Lots of fun, but um, I think it was probably it's 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 ideal for for the maybe, maybe teenage boys of today would enjoy it. You know? oh, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, despite some of the the, the hokey effects, I think you know, obviously the main draw of of Kelly LeBrock, and it has got you know has got some good comedy. Um, yeah, it's you know probably seen as as a lesser John Hughes movie, but I still had a lot of fun going back. It's brisk. It's 
barely 90 minutes and it was yeah it was nice to, to go back and visit no i very much i i enjoyed it um so yeah that's that was that was a fun retro ramble for for weird science so oh, i, I forgot we to got... mention weird science you know that mute the, the theme tune oh god yeah got the made their own theme tune yeah who's that, so, that must be oingo bongo which was an 80s band led by none other than danny elfman ah so before we go into before you became a you know one of the biggest composers that we know you know the, um, so yes I thought that was quite amusing yeah and yeah they've got, they've got their own theme tune that was a small move so yeah so that was weird science what have we got coming up next George do we need to have a band meeting about this or do you want to just, just well yes I think we, we, you know obviously we're still under lockdown of, of sorts uh, we're still mm-hmm. li- limited uh, so we are changing our schedule a little bit so yes uh, watch the space I think yeah, you and I need to have a think about because obviously there were some films that we were going to look at. We were going to do Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure at some point, but it looks like the new Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted Facing Music, is probably going to be moved. Uh, obviously, things are moving in in Hollywood, so yeah, we're shifting things around to sort of try and be tenuous, but um, watch this space. Obviously, we've done a couple of 80s efforts recently, so it might be a, a jump back to the 90s. But maybe stay away from 95. We spent a lot of time there this year. Just probably high chance of it being another um, Joel Silver production. Who, who, who knows? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Okay. Um, um, well, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So uh, this has been a retro ramble on Weird Science in 985. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we look forward to seeing you next time. See you soon. Bye-bye. Weird science.